0: film fans. What's up? Welcome in to another Second Day Film Podcast. It's the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. I'm your host, Brandon Champion, joined by the movie maestro Mike Nichols on Sunday, October 16th, 2022. Almost forgot the date there, Mike. It's been a long weekend. Uh, How's it going, my friend?
1: Uh, It's going okay. I just got back from a a nice trip to North Carolina. I got to visit my parents and bring Catherine. And incidentally, uh, today is Catherine's birthday. So happy
0: birthday to my girlfriend. Happy birthday, Catherine, from all of us here at the Second Day Film Podcast. Uh, We appreciate you keeping Mike in order. We definitely do. Uh, um, So, yeah, coming up on today's uh, episode, as usual, we'll be reviewing some new things that have been coming out on streaming and in the theaters. I believe today's docket includes two films in two series, one of them being one that we've been waiting for for a very long time. That would be Amazon Prime's uh, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. We'll get to that in a bit. Um, if you could please like and interview the podcast, it'd be very much appreciated. You can check out our work, <laughs> check out our work. <laughs> I'm in my other podcast mode, Mike. <laughs> uh, you can check out our, our, uh, Facebook page at second day film club or at second day film podcast. We're also on Twitter, uh, and Instagram, and you can catch our old episodes on SoundCloud Apple podcasts, uh, you know, the usual podcast spaces, but more than anything, we appreciate you listening, uh, here today. Uh, Mike, how do you feel about the 1993 film Jurassic Park?
1: Uh, I loved it as a child. I love it still as a man. And uh, I have not seen any of the new Jurassic World films, all, none, none of the new three. I just didn't see anything in those trailers that interested me. Um, but I know that you have seen the finale, Jurassic World Dominion.
0: I have seen all three of them in the new Jurassic World uh, series, and I don't know. We're not going to go into like a full review of this, just because I don't think it's worth it. Sad to say, um, mm. I mean, I'm a huge, I a huge dinosaur lover. Always have been my entire life. When I was a little, kid, I was obsessed with the dinosaurs. Had all the figurines. Had the dinosaur wallpaper. I'm not sure I ever really grew out of it, to be honest, because they still fascinate me all the time. And uh, I love learning about them. I go down Wikipedia rabbit holes all the time with dinosaurs. So I'm fascinated by the fact that these huge, giant lizard bird things once walked our planet. Um, And the Jurassic World movies, of course, are the reboot of the original Jurassic Park series. I thought Jurassic World, the first one, was okay. We reviewed Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom on this very podcast. You can go back and check that out. And I think... Mike and Sam, or Mike, I don't believe Mike was on it, but uh, Evan Dean and Sam Morse, the popcorn correspondent, reviewed it with me. I remember liking it more than those two. And towards the end of that one, uh, you know, based on the plot of what happens, you know, dinosaurs get out of containment and all of a sudden they're out in the real world. Uh, That's what we're dealing with here in Jurassic Park Dominion, which came out a few months ago where humans and dinosaurs are having to coexist on the planet. And on its surface, Mike, I think that's a pretty interesting idea, actually. I think you could go a lot of different directions with, oh, now we have these dinosaurs living alongside us. What would that mean for our ecosystem? What would that mean for animals that exist already on our planet? What would that mean for, would they be poached? Would they be sold on the black market? All these things are very interesting ideas. And we scratch the surface of these ideas in this new film, Jurassic World, Fallen uh, Dominion. Unfortunately, in the end, the filmmakers, Colin Trevorrow, They decide to turn this into another just monster movie where all dinosaurs are is carnage. All they want to do is kill people and eat people. Maybe that's what would happen in real life. But I think this movie had a huge missed opportunity to have some commentary and have some interesting ideas on conservation and sort of, you know, how we interact with nature and nature versus nurture and all those interesting themes. Nature finds a way stuff like that that we have in the original Jurassic Park is swept under the rug. Unfortunately, in the new Jurassic World Dominion, in favor of big set pieces with CGI dinosaurs trying to kill everything. So, uh, a disappointing miss for me, unfortunately, Mike.
1: Well, I'm sorry to hear that. And I'm thankful I have not bothered to watch any of these movies. I know when we were talking about, even like, should we even bother mentioning it? It was kind of like that new Matrix movie that came out, uh, Resurrections. We were like, it's just not even worth reviewing. Like, we don't need, like, it wasn't good. It's not worth talking about. And I know that's kind of how you feel about this one.
0: Yeah, I mean, sometimes we, you know, just because we don't talk about it on the pod doesn't mean we aren't reviewing it. We watch a lot of stuff, um, and, and sometimes we have to decide whether or not it's worth even going into depth, you know, 15, 20 minutes like we do into a movie. And unfortunately, this Jurassic World, while there are some cool set pieces, there's some cool sort of, obviously, the dinosaurs look pretty good. The CGI is solid. I just wish this movie would have had more heart because you've got the original OG characters, Ian Malcolm, Dr. Grant. Um, uh, Laura Dern's character Ellie comes back I mean you've got them meshing with the new era you know Chris Pratt Bryce Dallas Howard their characters and they all you know meet up and have to work together you have this like potential for a sort of like Avengers like team up in this Mm -hmm. movie and they try and build that up through the whole movie where you know new versus old clashes and then finally all of them have to work together to get out of this pickle but when the moment comes it is so underwhelming and honestly Dr. Grant uh, Ellie, Ellie Sadler, iconic characters from the 1993 film. They're mostly waste doing like a, a boring side quest uh, mm. in this chasing after like these. Uh, there's like these. There's this whole terrible plot where the villain and <laughs> E. Wong's character is like gone disgraced and he's trying to uh, destroy the world's crop supplies so that they can manipulate the market. And I'm like, none of this has anything to do with dinosaurs. And you're basically mm-hmm. sidelining these iconic characters that chase after this goose chase while the new characters are, you know, trying to save dinosaurs and bring them to this secluded island. And, you know, it's, it, I just think it's a huge missed opportunity because they're, they do sort of scratch the surface of like, oh, black market with dinosaurs or poaching with dinosaurs or people abusing them and breeding them, you know, all very relevant themes because we see humans do this terrible stuff with the animals that live in our world. And I think, it, you know, when you extrapolate that to dinosaurs, it could have been really cool. But unfortunately, it just ends up being a big CGI mess. So that's uh, Jurassic World Dominion. We're not going to say much more than that. I think it up gave it up a five and a half out of ten. And really, the only redeeming thing about it is just that there's some cool set pieces and the CGI is solid. So uh, unfortunately, a skip, but it was one of the biggest releases of the year. So I felt like I at least needed to mention it, Mike. Uh, we can't just ignore it completely, unfortunately. Um well, let's get into sort of the main bulk of our show today. We're going to start things off. Halloween, obviously, Mike is coming. Have you got your costume picked out yet?
1: Uh, I'm working on it. <laughs> I, I, Are you just
0: going to go as Robin Hood for the 20th year in a row? Or? I don't. I don't
1: know. It might happen. It might not. Uh, I, I don't want to spoil anything for all of our fans who who really care about Halloween costumes and what we wear. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Do you have? Do you know what you're doing this year? You have uh, a yeah. you have a baby now so you've got uh-huh. yeah
0: you got... I'm going as I'm going as a slutty gardener uh, <laughs> <laughs> no no uh, my my wife is going to be a butterfly mm-hmm. and I am a gardener and my daughter violet is a violet oh imagine that you know? So yeah I'm sure you'll see pictures at some point but I digress the reason I bring up Halloween uh, one a movie that has been Long in the making, long rumored. I swear every year we had like a fake trailer or a fake movie poster coming out for Hocus Pocus 2. It is a sequel to the 1993 cult classic Hocus Pocus. It stars Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, Kathy Najimi as uh, three witches, the Sanderson sisters coming back from the dead. Doug Jones returns in this uh, as their sort of henchman. Uh, What's his name? Billy Butcherson or something like that, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you've also got some uh, uh, talented actor, ch- child actors in this Sam Richardson, Whitney Peak, Melissa Escoblado, Tony Hale, and Hannah Waddingham also join the cla- uh, cast. Like I mentioned, Hocus Pocus too. I swear there has been like a, a fake movie poster or a trailer. Ever since, you know, rumors all the time about how there's being a long-awaited sequel to this, uh, they've waited a long time <laughs> to do it, yeah. what, 30 years. Um, so kudos on holding off, at least, and maybe we can have the conversation of, do we need the sequel? Does everything need a sequel? I think we know how we feel about that, mm. um, but the plot summary on IMDb. Uh, two young women accidentally bring back the Sanderson sisters to modern day Salem and must figure out how to stop the child hungry witches from wreaking havoc on the world. As if this film was directed by Ann Fletcher, um, and I already read the cast there, but Mike, I actually watched this movie at a, at a watch party. There was, uh, fun snacks. We had, uh, uh, dead man's toes, AKA cocktail sausages. Uh, lots of fun little, uh, treats and cookies. Uh, it was a good time had by all we were drinking festive drinks. Um, so, and everyone seemed to mostly like it, uh, when we were watching then, but how do you feel about Hocus Pocus too? Uh,
1: you know, I actually know a couple of other people who did watch parties for this too. I was surprised that there was such a strong, like positive reaction to people being like, yeah, we're getting together to watch this one. And it's like, really? Like, I didn't, I didn't know people felt that strongly, but I have to admit, I didn't grow up with Hocus Pocus. It was just uh, somehow a, a film that just slipped through the cracks for me. I didn't see it until last year. At a friend's oh, wow. Halloween thing and they they put it on and everyone like you know brought some drinks and they, we watched it like on their like garage door or something they had a uh, projector and I was like okay yeah like that was what I remember of like Disney 90s Halloween movies like yep yeah, like that that was about right it was fine but then I sat down to watch this one because I knew you wanted to like review it and I was like busting a gut I don't know what it was I don't know if it was just the silly like like over the top like self-serious humor or if it was just a solid cast with like you know the main three and then you've got like veep alumni like tony hale sam richardson who are both amazing scene stealers and everything they're in i don't know if it was director and fletcher doing some amazing like set work and such with making halloween feel cozy without it feeling like i don't know the, the tim burton bubblegum goth look or whatever like I don't know what it was but something about this movie just worked for me i was laughing a lot i was i was enjoying it um you know the plot is you know a plot for children it's fine uh it's you know it's not citizen kane or something but it's you know it's it's fine for what this movie is being but like man strong cast performances from like you know, Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, uh, Kathy. Oh, I'm gonna mess up your name. Sorry, Kathy. Uh, Kathy N- N- Najime, Najime. So I'm so sorry for everyone who likes her and for her. Uh, but even like the younger cast, like the, the, the current kids and also the kids who played the sisters when they were younger, great oh, yeah. job, like just perfect imitation and performance. Uh, I really thought this one worked the humor worked the acting work the silliness and the halloween like you know uh
0: vibe of it worked i was
1: i was pretty happy with this one
0: um i you know i i liked it more than i thought i was gonna you know i'm, yeah. I'm very weary of sequels in general yeah i, I you same. know sometimes they feel unnecessary sometimes they feel like money grabs sometimes you know sometimes they work like toy story 2 or you know, something like that. I hear the Knives Out sequel that's coming out is going to be pretty good. You know, sometimes they do yeah. work, but I, I'm always weary because, you know, it's going to be hard to match, particularly with something like Hocus Pocus. It's going to be hard to match the nostalgia that a lot of people yeah. feel for the original movie. I was shocked by how enjoyable this was. And yeah, like you, I was surprised by how funny it was. Like, I didn't expect, yeah. you know, I knew Bette Midler and J- Sarah Jessica Parker, Kathy Jimmy I knew they were going to, like, chew the scenery because that's what they did in the original you can tell Bette Midler is just having like the time of her life playing oh, she this character. Was, you know? <laughs> she was next level. She was so funny. Yeah, and she's equally funny in this. And, you know, I think the director and the writers did a really good job of sort of playing yeah. into that that fish out of water trope. Like Mm -hmm. the Walgreens scene was absolutely hysterical. I mean, like just playing on that, like, you know, okay, these are witches from, you know, Salem 1600s or whatever, and you're dropping them in a modern setting. And now you're dropping them in an even more modern setting than where they were in 1993. So things that they figured out in 93, like, Oh, they know what a bus is. And they even put that line in there like, Oh, it's a small bus because they learned what a bus was in 1993. But even the world of 1993, is different now because they're being dropped in 2022. I right. mean, 2022 is not the same thing as '93, so they have like another level of the shot of waterness to deal with. And whenever you have that set up, there's always a lot of potential for humor. You know, look no further than you know, Will Ferrell and Elf. You know where you know where he's like this elf and he's being thrown in the modern world and he doesn't understand sensibilities, he doesn't understand anything. What do you get? Comedic genius. So that was always going to be set up with the witches here. and I think they did a really good job sort of capitalizing on that humor. Uh, in the movie and it, and it was sustained you know there was sustained chuckles throughout it so even if the plotting wasn't great I didn't really relate a ton to the to the younger girls the the new characters mm-hmm. um, because you know we don't have the same sort of history with them as we do with the Sanderson sisters right um, but uh, you know in terms of like the witches and watching them and and just being engaged with the movie I thought the humor really carried it through
1: Yeah, which is, like, Disney humor has been, I think, especially since, like, they've taken control of the MCU movies, like, Disney humor can definitely feel very hit and miss, and this one was a hit. And I think it it really helped to have, like, amazing performers like Bette Midler and, you know, Tony Hale and Sam Richardson and Doug Jones. Like, I think that was a real, like, help was that they had people who knew um, how to do over-the-top silly uh, because, you know, you, you've got that from Veep, um, you know, you get it with Tony Hill, you also get it from Arrested Development. So like, I think, Bette Midler, I mean, Bette Midler was a Broadway star, you yeah, know, it's a theater, she comes from that background. So I think, uh, I think the comedy is what helped this one as well as some solid directing, but ultimately good performances. So I give this one, a, I give this
0: one a B plus. My criticisms would come more like, like I said, I, I wasn't as related to uh, I didn't find the kids, the new kids as relatable. And I didn't love how they made the Sanderson, like the Sanderson sisters who are like these, you know, blood sucking, you know, life sucking, murdering witches. They really kind of like almost turn them into like anti heroes at the end of this movie, you know, yeah. and they they <laughs> this movie definitely feels like it has more of like a delicate touch, than the original because in the original you know maybe that's just how our sensibilities have changed in 30 years but in the original you know you have sarah jessica parker and like her her boobs are kind of like hanging out of her shirt and she's like lusting ever every man and you know it's the, the sensibilities i think they kind of toned all that down a little bit the murderous child eating they kind of turned toned down a little bit so they could almost give like the witches more of a redemption arc which i i guess works because we do get their backstory in this but at times it didn't feel like the witches in this movie were the same ones that were in the original because they were almost too like good. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. They're almost yeah. too, they weren't as menacing. So it did feel like they kind of scaled that back a little bit.
1: Yeah. I, I can see what you're saying where it's kind of like, and Disney kind does this with pirate movies too, where it's like maybe earlier on the pirates are like kind of more scary and like more villainous. And then like, they did this with some of like Pirates of the Caribbean, like, uh, like Barbosa in the first one, he's definitely more of a villain. But then in the rest of the films, because he was so popular and likable because he's Joffrey Rush and he, he was a good character, mm-hmm. they definitely started to make him more sympathetic and like part of the crew so he could be included in more story. And I think that's probably what happened here. The sisters were just such a popular part of the original film that they wanted to like, you know, let them be more of characters who have their own arcs and development than just like maybe more, more of the yeah more of the villains like they were in the first one
0: and and that makes sense i guess in a sequel because in the original you know you have max and danny and allison that everyone's like in banks i guess who everyone's like so tied to and they know so you're rooting for them right, and the yeah. witches are obviously the antagonists we in as in this new one max danny allison none of them are there so i guess it makes sense to sort of focus on the witches and have them be sort of the protagonist antagonist Mm -hmm. of the movie um so i guess that makes sense my sister said something hocus pocus is one of her favorite movies and you mentioned that sort of the vibe and sensibility of it and sort of you that worked for you she said something interesting and i kind of went back and like scrolled through the movie quickly to see what she was talking about she didn't feel like this movie was halloween enough you know Mm. like if like it it's If you look at the first one, Halloween motifs are everywhere, whether it's, you know, they're in school and the decorations are everywhere or the town of Salem is all, you know, glitzed and glammed up. They go to the Halloween party. There's a trick-or-treating scene. There's a Halloween party. Um, You know, the haunted house has that real aesthetic to it. Like, you can tell Halloween's going on. I do think this movie sort of lacks some of that uh, because, yeah, it's taking place during Halloween, but I don't think we see as many Halloween motifs in it. And, And the fall, maybe that's just like the 90s, vibe that you can't compete with you know the nostalgia is not going to ring true as much on this one but just that 90s like you know family film adventure aesthetic that you get i don't think you get as much in this but again that's probably because it's not made in the 90s i just thought a little more halloween imagery could have put me in the uh in the in the film a little more but it seemed like you felt like there was enough of that
1: Yeah, I think there's different ways to do Halloween. Like there's the horror Halloween. There's like the gross and slimy Halloween. There's, you know, Tim Burton's like, you know, bubblegum goth style. And then there's this, which almost just feels more like the magical Halloween. So I think it's fine to do different versions of like, you know, Christmas does that too, where, you know, Christmas definitely has like different vibes of oh is this like like is this more of like a magical christmas movie is this more of like a family romantic drama christmas movie is this like you know one of those like oh you know they have to invite the weird family over and it's a you know a bunch of things <laughs> going wrong to I, I don't know tim allen or something whatever but it's yeah like i
0: think it's okay to do the more to focus on the more magical halloween yeah, yeah it's very it. contemporary halloween too and yeah. I, I was surprised there wasn't a little more callbacks to the original though and, and i know i know we hate those when they're kind of like shoehorned in like i criticized solo for doing that yeah. uh we criticized the harry potter movies the the crimes of grindelwald stuff for doing that i was surprised that we didn't get like you know more cameos whether it was allison or you know i know max i think the guy who played max max hasn't acted since like 2000 and you know, Thora Birch is obviously busy. She's the one who played Danny. But I am surprised that you know they there wasn't a little bit more sort of winks. You know, I'm not mad about it, but I was just surprised. Yeah,
1: you know? it's almost like Disney learned, oh, we shouldn't. Ever, no one likes it when we overdo oh, do that, so we're gonna tone it down a bit. Yeah, uh, I think I think it hopefully means Disney is starting to figure out how to do their Disney Plus content better, or that, mm-hmm. or Anne Fletcher is just a really amazing director in spite of all the dumb
0: stuff disney tried to do to her i don't know but either way it's b plus uh, mm. i'm i'm ready to move on i'm at a six <laughs> and a half out of ten and i don't know if it's gonna stand the test of time be a timeless classic like the original hocus pocus but you know definitely enough there to uh have it justify its existence and be a fun family film people can watch you know around halloween so yeah that's hocus pocus two, and it is on disney plus Uh, moving forward with the disney plus section of tonight's uh second day film podcast we're gonna stick right with the disney we're gonna move on over to marvel mike we uh can't have a podcast without discussing marvel that's how quickly they're pumping this stuff out i think this is like the fourth or fifth podcast in a row where we've had to put marvel in here but the latest disney plus series she hulk attorney at law just wrapped up this week uh this show was created by jessica Gow and stars tatiana maslani as uh jennifer walters aka she hulk uh jennifer walters navigates the complicated life of a single 30 something attorney who also happens to be a green six foot seven inch super powered hulk Whew, we get a lot of cameos in this uh show but ginger gonzaga uh malia aria jamia jamil are in this. Josh Segarra's in this. Mark Ruffalo makes an appearance. Benedict Wong makes an appearance. Uh, Charlie Cox makes an appearance. Tim Roth makes an appearance. Uh, So we do have a lot of like cameos that swoop in and out of this show, Mike. Um, These are only like half hour episodes. So something a little bit different than we've seen in the MCU before. And boy, oh boy, Mike, this is definitely something different than we've ever seen in the MCU before. Yep.
1: (laughs) I'm sorry. I i think this would be the bottom of the mcu disney plus shows for me i just i i think this was very tonally inconsistent i think the writing was all over the place i think tatiana did a really great job making the character watchable and likable um you know i'm not surprised like she's an emmy winner I personally really enjoyed her performance and uh, I think the first thing I saw her in was like Perry Mason, that Perry Mason uh, HBO show they did and like she was like really kind of spooky and and interesting to watch in that and like she does a very good job of trying to play this role as it's written Um, and I think the creator is really talented too. Like let's not forget uh, Jessica Gow wrote and I think also won an Emmy for she wrote the Pickle Rick episode of Rick and Morty like which is an extremely popular and beloved episode. So I'm not really sure ultimately what went down with making this show the mess that it is because you've got a, a great Emmy winning writer who can clearly write. I mean Pickle Rick is a brilliant episode of television. You've got a great star who is also like an Emmy winner and you've got a character who like could be fresh and new and it's like oh yeah like She's in. I, I don't really know the character in the comics super well, but from what I've heard, like from people who are fans, they're like, "Oh, I'm looking forward to that one. I really like that character. She's really fun and funny." And then you know they've also got like a connection, kind of like Hawkeye had like a strong connection, even though it's really about uh, his like protege. Um, it's, like Hawkeye is really not the main character of Hawkeye, um, but this one also had like, "Oh, you have another Avenger coming in." Like. A lot of this show should have worked really well, and some of the ideas in it work really well too, but then the delivery of the idea and the writing of the idea just completely doesn't follow through for me. Like, uh, I'll just give one simple example: uh, when she becomes like the She-Hulk lawyer and she's in court, and uh, episode one, the bad guy uh, bursts through the door or bursts through the wall. And then they fight, and it's never explained in, in the entire show. You never know why. Like, why did that character just jump into the, through the wall and start attacking in the middle of a, a thing? Why? Like, what was her motivation? Who is she? How does she have her powers? Like, I have no idea. Like, that was supposed to be one of the main villains of the show, and I have no idea who she was, why she was there, why she was fighting She-Hulk, why she stopped and, like, busted into that courtroom that day. Like they just have a lot of different plot lines that they try to like entertain you with. And they're very self meta about it. Like she'll even start breaking the fourth wall and talking to us. Oh yeah. This week we have Wong, which is basically like a Twitter shield for the week and little comments like that. I'm like, huh, that's like, I I get, like, I get what they're doing. It's self-referential like, but ultimately, like I think they almost get into the show. Like, too much for their own good where they don't really tell a story anymore this whole thing just feels like one large like self like nasal gazing story that's like a meta commentary on itself and then also why it's not good like the whole finale (laughs) starts saying, hey this isn't good writing goes in yells at the writers and then like like I was like, that's such a creative scene. That's such an interesting idea. Like I was, gen- like I was watching. I was like, wow, look at she's really coming out of the Disney Plus screen when that's she climbs it. through the screen. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. That's creative. Like, I think it, that could be a really fun, interesting thing to do. But then what they do with it just completely throws away all the plot and character development. And like, it, I was very disappointed with this show. I, I. I don't know what really happened, but there's a lot of talented people who made that show and it just did not come together the right way.
0: So here's the thing. I think this is the show where Disney and the MCU, Kevin Feige, whoever was, or the robot, you know, we don't know. Maybe Kevin Kevin Feige is a robot. I don't know. But uh, basically now we know why they can pump these out so quickly, Mike, they just have a big AI in there (laughs) pumping them all out. Um, But what I, I I think this is the show where Disney basically was just like, screw it. We're going to make this show that is like this half hour, like Looney Tunes, zany, like ridiculous. Like we know this is, we're going to almost make this corny to the point where it's like almost channeling, like, you know, the Adam West Batman, you know, where it's like, we know these are like half hour contained, like just ridiculous episodes that are over the top in a lot of ways. And to be fair in the comics, what I've learned is that She-Hulk breaks the fourth wall in the comics too. So this isn't like a new thing for her. Um, But I do agree that sometimes when you get so meta and and so like, you know, self um, self analyzing and stuff like this, Mm -hmm. you're making basically making a commentary on yourself or how the public views the MCU or like, you know, how men would be like, oh, she Hulk just because she's not better just because she's a girl like she stole it from Hulk. And, you know, these are very real things that like fans of the MCU or people in general, these are critiques that are said out loud, and, you know, she's like reading the mean tweets and stuff, and, you know, I, I just think that this, this with this show, uh, Marvel basically decided, we're going to go full meta, we're going to acknowledge all the things that people say about us, and we're going to actually literally confront them within the plot of our show so i i don't know it almost seems like they knew they were writing a a show that just had a lot of loose ends and different things going on every episodes and different characters popping in and out and then being like i promise this isn't a cameo show because you know that's what people are criticizing the mcu for for everyone just Hinging on cameos, same thing with Star Wars. So I just think they were kind of trying to lean into all that and sort of just be like, we hear all the complaints you have. We don't really care. Look, we're making fun of ourselves. We're edgy and cool, kind of like how Rick and Morty does. You know, but you mentioned Rick and Morty, but that's sort of the same thing that that show does. where they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to do a summer in uh, Rick show. Let's go. You know, like how they how it references itself. So yeah. I'm not surprised to hear that it's the same writer. You know, I I think if you're looking for like a balanced sort of grounded show uh th- this wasn't going to be it for you you know
1: yeah so. and it's too bad because like i really do think the idea of like she hulk as an attorney is like a very interesting idea to me like and they they even bring up things that are like oh wait a minute that should be like a very interesting plot point point. and they're like nope it's gone where he's like daredevil oh, spoilers daredevil and her are like in court as lawyers like going up against each other and he's just I like I thought well, they
0: had good chemistry though. I yeah, like them. No, no, so, yeah.
1: yeah, I I didn't mind that. Um, but it's like he just throws out there, "Well, the Sokovia Accords were re- repealed," and I was like, "Whoa, we that's kind that. of like w- like that's kind of important. That's a very emotional legal precedent to change because there was literally an entire movie about that accord, and you watch best friends almost kill each other over it." So, the fact that that accord is now, oh, yeah, it's been repealed as like a throwaway, like kind of line in this, like, like very not realistic courtroom process. Uh, it was like, whoa, that could have been like, I would have been fascinated to watch an entire show where it's just about She Hulk trying to repeal it. Like that, and then, like, that would have been really interesting. But it's like, oh, I guess that very, like, serious, emotional, like, legal plot that's been part of this mcu story is
0: just gone it's a throwaway line and well that 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 stuff with like you know like lawyers and how there's like now a superhero you know division and like a huge law firm and how people are talking about you know like how you know the guy who makes the the outfits is like i need to have confidentiality because a lot of my clients are superheroes and they have secret identities and just talking about like uh, superheroes having you know causing collateral damage and uh, all this stuff like these are interesting ideas about like how superheroes. This is a lot of stuff that the boys gets into. Yeah, you know, and, exactly. and that's yeah, it's so clever how they get into all that stuff. But it would be nice if the MCU would 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 do more than just scratch the surface on sort of like how the 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 conversation of how superheroes fit within the world, especially like in a post Thanos world when in in a post like where they had this whole huge you know catastrophe you would think that we would get more glimpses into into like how the general public views superheroes are those views changing i mean we saw some of it in cap and the win and cap in the winter so uh not that cap in the uh what was the damn show we watched damn it uh, falcon in the winter, winter soldier. soldier yeah but he we is get, ca- but he is cap now so it's yeah fun. we do get some of that we do get some of it in there where people are like oh people look at superheroes differently now and uh you have to be a superhero in a different way now and These sort of things in real world situations of how superheroes fit within the world. I'm super interested in all those ideas and they only scratch the surface of it with with the lawyering stuff. And I thought there was potential for so much more of that.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely felt like the whole tone of this was we're writing to an audience that we are proving them wrong. Like, Hey, you guys, like you don't know how to watch these shows, right? You only like it when there's cameos or the, the, like the whole show feels a little bit like finger wagging at like all you trolls who don't like Marvel things. And it's, it's like, Mm -hmm. is, is who are you writing this for? Is this for, is this like a shaming thing of, of an audience who doesn't even kind of like, (laughs) what is this for like why are you passionate about she hulk as a character why like what makes her like i don't know like focus on a story don't just focus on like a meta commentary that's telling the audience you're wrong and we don't like you and at the end of the day ultimately all the guys who don't like this show they're the bad guys
0: right and then and then then your own
1: care and then your own character comes out of the show to tell the writers hey this stinks it's like those are your words not like i Like, what do you want me to say like your own main character you
0: have her saying
1: this isn't a good show i think like, they are almost trolling the critics
0: though in this they're, they're trying to troll their own critics and yeah you just said it the literal bad guys in this are like trolls men man trolls online like this this is the yeah. most i would say like outwardly feminist show the mcu has had Mm. obviously, because the whole thing is about Jennifer Walters trying to learn how to both be herself, but also embrace the Hulk at the same time. And at the end, we get that line where I'm both, you know, because she learns how to be both or whatever. That's at least the message they're going for. Um, and she's supposed to, she's going for like this, you know, feminist icon stuff, because the whole thing is about, you know, misogyny for men. And uh, you've got like yeah. the guy who works with her who's like, you know, oh, there's a woman. I'm going to go talk to it, you know, and just like yeah. stuff like that. And the bad guys end up being, like, man trolls who are just like, oh, Hulk's better and we don't need this female Hulk. And that very much mirrors real life. So oh yeah, I do think that's yeah, what they're sure. going for. But I don't know. I just don't know if the execution, like, fully landed at all.
1: Yeah, um, I, I 100% agree that a lot of douchebag, like, misogynistic jerks or trolls to anything that goes up on the Internet and they can be jerks and i think it was like actually pretty interesting doing like like the thing about like revenge porn and like oh like that like i was like okay that's serious that's a real problem that's a real thing that like shouldn't you can show the pain of the character and then it's like oh but see she got mad and that wasn't cool it's like that's i don't think that's the right message like let her be mad about this and then like show them how she's going to legally fight it and then it that she never really does legally fight it she just rewrites the reality so she can it's how did I, I you just... feel
0: how did you feel about the effects because that was a big topic coming in and i thought at times they looked fine other times they look pretty bad in my opinion
1: i think that based on the stories i've heard i don't know if it's marvel or disney or who's really behind it but like a lot of C- like cgi and vfx teams are really burned out from working on superhero films with them or projects just because they're like hey we need this done and we you have this many like cgi clips to do and you need to have it done in like like a month and you're working 70 hours a day and like and people are like emotional breakdowns and they cry and it's like well yeah if you only give someone 70 hours to do the cgi you get what you pay for and i feel bad for the cgi artists if like especially if they're being mistreated and then everyone's like wow this sucks it's like yeah, like I kind of blame the company that's in charge of it, not the personal artists, because we know they have good artists. Like we've seen their work. Uh, if it's getting, wor- if the work's getting worse, I wonder about what's going on. I don't know. Just as someone who's been a project manager before, I kind of think more internally about what's going on at that business. That those artists' work is not like up to par with what it could be. Like so, I I, I agree that for most of the scenes it was fine, but there were definitely some where it was like, whoa, this looks.
0: Not great. Uh. I think I don't think I disliked it as much as you because I found some I found Tatiana Maslany very charming and I didn't mind sort of some of the the little misadventures with various MCU characters and the the wall, fourth wall breaking was entertaining to me at times. And I don't know, I guess I just was like, okay, it's okay for some of these MCU shows to be a little more flippant and funny and like less stakes. And I don't know, but I can see, you know, if you were looking for something a little more grounded, this is pretty chaotic. And the, the finale was just absolute chaos and in, in every sense of the word. So, you know, I thought there was funny bits at times. I thought the, the central performance was fine. Um, and some of the, the, you know, self-referential stuff I enjoyed, but you know, overall, maybe just a, a, a little too out there, it, almost in the same way where Thor Ragnar or uh, Thor um, love and thunder was almost too, yeah. too out there and not serious enough to be taken seriously. I think some of the same issues probably affected She-Hulk. I gave it a six out of 10.
1: And yeah, just to be clear, like, again, we're not saying like, I think dealing with, you know, the things that women go through and like strong female characters, all that is good. I'm glad we're seeing it more in shows. Um, and I think that everyone involved in this was very talented, but I just don't know what was going on behind the scenes that overall the final story and the individual arcs and the, the writing, like there was, there was just a mess to this. And I don't mean that against anyone who was part of it. uh, But I don't know. I hope, I hope like Marvel and Disney has a moment and they like come together and be like, Hey, something is wrong with our factory filmmaking process because obviously the artists are getting burned out. Obviously talented people are not getting to do good work. And, you know, we're getting these like, like, I don't know. I don't know who this is for or what the point of this was and it was ultimately a disappointment i i, I give this one a, a c minus actually no you know what now that final scene where the, she comes out of the show and actually says her own show stinks like I, you sh- <laughs> I, I just can't believe that someone would be like yeah isn't that isn't that good it's so self-aware it's like if your self-awareness is that your own product isn't good uh i don't like i will then I will agree with you so I'm actually gonna, I'm going to give it a D plus
0: just for that that was disappointing was
1: I did ame- I stuff.
0: did enjoy Tim Roth as Emil Blonsky in this though he was pretty hilarious <sighs> being able to play a more light hearted one if you don't know he's from the Incredible Hulk uh, when uh, oh they also made reference to the fact that Edward Norton played him instead of Mark Ruffalo <laughs> just like it was like it was, he, he was another guy literally and then he winks at the camera like there was so much of that in this movie so well, let me- uh,
1: I don't know let me ask you one last thing about this. And again, like I'm not trying to like like pick on anyone, but do you feel like the character of Wong in this show lined up with the character of Wong from everything else or even was were the choices Wong was making with sneaking this guy out of a prison just to like fight him, like even though he's already the strange like doctor or he he's already sorcerer supreme like I just, like, what did you think of how Wong was done in this show? Because it felt
0: very inconsistent and almost kind like... Kind of, but he, almost he's always been... He's always been a comic relief guy, though. I mean, he comes in and makes little comments and stuff, but... You know, you have to wonder, uh, you know, what... But let's not act like Stephen Strange and do a bunch of stupid crap as Sorcerer Supreme, too. Uh, lest we forget uh, the Spider-Man movie we just watched. Uh, you know, sort of his fault. So, uh, they've all been a little bit flippant with their powers at time. I don't know. The cameo thing it worked at times and other times it didn't. I was excited to see Charlie Cox back in the MC or in the MCU. I know we got a glimpse of him in Spider-Man. Um, so that was cool. I thought they had good chemistry. Most of the cameos worked for me, honestly. Um, did but you think that, we got to move uh, on. We got, did, we got to move did, on. We got, you, we got other things right, to talk right, about all right, all right, all right. Uh, we're already pushing lot. I'm trying to get out of here before, you know, well, hour you, talked, you talked, you talked about Hocus Pocus too, man. You just... <laughs> well, yeah, we got to talk about Hocus Pocus too. I don't like to rush through this stuff, but you know, about 15, 20 minutes, then we'll move on. Uh, all right. Movie. I just watched today. Uh, it's called where the crawdads sing. Uh, yeah. This film is directed by Olivia Newman. It stars Daisy Edgar Jones, Taylor, John Smith, uh, Harris Dickinson, David Strathern uh, Sterling Maser and Michael Hyatt. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, oh, yeah, it might be, it might be Michelle. I don't know. It's spelled different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's great though. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I loved it. Um, the plot, a woman who raised herself in the marshes of the deep South becomes a suspect in the murder of a man whom she was once involved um mike this was one that got some pretty good publicity uh, in airtime on on uh, tv saw a lot of uh, commercials for it i know it's based on a pretty popular novel which Mm. my wife had read uh and she watched this movie with me she said there was basically the same plot uh maybe some things were moved around in time and different deviations and Uh, We see time sort of used as a plot device in the movie, too, because, you know, things will start out in present day and then we'll have flashbacks as we sort of track this girl's life and sort of what led her to the situation she's in. Mm -hmm. Daisy Edgar Jones is uh, a very talented up and coming actress that I hadn't seen a lot of until we watched that Under the Kingdom of Heaven uh, series on Hulu when she plays one of the girls and uh here she is starring in in this movie mike and uh you know i don't think this is a perfect movie there's some things i really liked about it some things i didn't like as much but i did think her lead performance was was very strong
1: yeah uh she's a good protagonist who's both like strong and independent and yet has a lot of like shall we say lonely vulnerability which is really nice to see because you're like oh yeah wow this character actually feels like a real person this is relatable uh i think it was very well written and well acted by daisy edgar jones like you said like she's kind of appearing in a ton of things now um and everything i've seen her in though i'm just like yeah though she's good like she, like okay like cool um and i also think like the other performers did good too i thought the the chase guy the one who is ultimately like the one who i don't know, spoil anything but not the greatest guy but even he feels like a real person. Someone who's conflicted, has good qualities, but ultimately like tragic flaws and like it's nice to see like characters so well-rounded and well-written, especially like given the last couple movies things we just talked about. I mean Hocus Pocus was fine, but you know, they're they're all silly characters and then this is like, oh yeah, these feel like real people. This feels like a real problem and real drama. I will say having just gotten back from the Atlantic coast in North Carolina, like it is nice to see a movie that looks like it's filmed in nature like so many i don't know just so much stuff lately and we can talk about this with like brings of power but just like i'm just tired of seeing anything that's on a boat look like this very heavy cgi thing so it's nice to see people really in the water really in the marshes like is it so beautiful and i've kind
0: of missed a lot of the in in in-person productions um and i'm glad to see those are coming back i mean in terms of like the world building and sort of the setting of this film i thought they nailed it i mean yeah, just sure. sort of like this coastal marshes in the carolinas and uh you know the sun sort of coming up over the marshes and these yeah. shots like, through weeds or down looking down as in, onto boats that are moving over the water and you you almost get the sense like this is like some far away distant world you know mm-hmm. where it's like this you know somewhere uh, that doesn't exist like in our own world, but in reality, it's just like this backwater marsh town in the Carolinas. I'm sure there's so many communities that are just like this, where they rely on fishing and collecting mussels, and they travel by boat more than car. And, um, I just think the world that we're plopped into almost became sort of like a character of its own because, you know, the marsh was their secret, you know, she references, whereas like, she's at home in the marsh and everyone, all these outsiders who come into the marsh to become of marsh part of marsh girls world um, almost are welcomed into like, you know, like the marsh is almost like her family, you know, because she doesn't have any other family members. So the marsh is like her entire family. So when she lets them into the marsh with them and spends the moments in there, it's almost like she's opening the door into her family. And I thought that that was really well done because it, it felt like the scenes that were filmed in the marsh when she was with the two different guys, whether it was Tate or uh, uh, the other guy, Chase, Chase. Um, it it felt like that was almost like a different kind of movie than what was happening whenever she ventured outside the marsh, outside of her comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And sort of that comparison between who she was in the marsh and who she was out of it sort of really set the, scene for the whole movie because uh that's sort of what it is about like how she you know is always searching for her place in the real world and she can't really ever find it um you know it, it really until the very end of the movie in this so uh, i did think that the, the overall setting was very sort of eerie creepy but also beautiful at the same time so uh, big time credit to the the, the you know, production design, the, the cinematographers, the the DPs and the director for really capturing that, the Marsh world and, and bringing us into it to watch this story unfold.
1: Yeah, it, it's a good story too. It keeps you keeps you interested. I have to say like when I first read what it was, like it, it did feel like, like what someone would write if they were writing a parody of like the Southern mystery romance thing. Like, you know, oh, she was all alone the marsh girl but then she found love and then he left for college and then it's like okay like it it sounds like it's gonna be cheesy but then you watch it and you're like this is good like
0: i I will say some of it was cheesy there was some (laughs) cheesy bits like like when that like that leaf cyclone like comes up out of nowhere and they're like reaching out and touching it and just like dancing in the leaf cyclone i kind of rolled my eyes a little bit that was a nice moment It was was a nice moment. It was so corny. There was some corny bits to this, I have to say. The writing, I don't know, it was good. I liked the story. I was engaged, but there was some bits when I just kind of rolled my eyes like, geez, am I watching a Hallmark movie all of a sudden? Like, what is going on here? It was like a mix between like The Notebook and like, um, oh man, I forgot the, the name of the movie that I watched so long ago. It won an Academy Award. It was so good. I'll try and remember it. Go ahead. I was gonna say i hope you weren't rolling your eyes at the store owners mabel and
1: Jumpin, because they were they were two of my favorite parts of the whole movie they no were no i like that they I were like they were amazing and she's she's brianna from the wire that's who she is so whenever oh, okay. you finish the wire that's how you'll that's how you'll recognize her she's amazing um but yeah i really liked them uh daisy edgar jones was good solid directing solid script solid story and pretty like interesting little ending i was like ooh, like i think the ending is it's it'll make you have a conversation about like oh like do you think that was the right thing or do you think it was the wrong thing like i think it's a very uh very well done overall film uh yeah is it is it you know perfect no but it's it's pretty good like i would give it a b plus
0: i'm at a six and a half out of ten uh i liked it some of the stuff took me out of it the corny little bits and i found the film somewhat predictable as well um but you know overall like the because of the world and the vibe that we were thrown into I was into it. I like David Strathern as the the sort of lawyer who's yeah, uh, yeah. develops a, a sort of soft heart for her I thought her performance was really good um actually the performances across the board were were really really solid and I, I sort of liked the idea that you know I don't like nobody in the movie. Like like you said, everyone feels believable. You know, nobody feels yeah. like they're like menacingly evil. Really, you know, yeah. they, they feel like people who have good and bad qualities. Um, even like the dad who's like literally beating his kids and women or in his wife and forcing them all to leave. You know, has a couple redeeming moments where he, he's trying to like figure it out, but he's just <laughs> ch- so far down the the bad road. I just liked the duality that everyone showed at least a little bit in this because. Yeah. That's how people are. They're not, they're not like, you know, uh, the, the, the British officer that Jason Isaacs plays in the Patriot where you're just like pure evil all the time. You know, they, they, they show nuance to almost everyone in this, whether it's the sheriff. Whether it's the people in town, whether it's the two guys, they all have flaws, and and Jay-Z Edgar, Daisy Edgar Jones herself has flaws, and they don't shy away from them. Uh, and we find out at the end that she, uh, you know, may have committed a pretty serious crime, so uh, we can't really let her completely off the hook either. Um, but I did enjoy that sort of nuance in the characters.
1: Yeah, I totally understand what you mean. When I was watching this, I was like, wow, this is no Jason Isaacs from The Patriot. I <laughs> <laughs> he's who I always That's... think of whenever I think of characters in films. And okay, how does this? It's not right where your this... mind went, dude.
0: Come
1: on. <laughs> so I mean, I totally get what you mean because he's definitely like just the dastardly, like you know, not the qualities. Not that he, has a, not that he has a mustache to twirl, but he's definitely just like that cold, cruel British officer. Which the real, the guy he's based off, Benazir and he really was. But I just, I love that you just were like, yeah, you know what I think of when I think of where the crowd had sing the patriot (laughs) that's
0: just what came That just that's just what came to mind when i was like thinking about like a a character that doesn't have a lot of nuance you know it's just like so bad i can't find the movie that i was talking about and that i want to compare this to right now i can't remember what it's called but it, it won an academy award it was about uh this little girl who was like living in sort of this backwater world where they're like everything's basically like Houses are on stilts, and uh, like boats are the main port, port of transportation. I- I'll have to think about it, but uh, it really reminded me of that, where we sort of get thrust into the world and sort of see how things go. Um, but overall, you know, this movie I would say was better than I thought it was going to be. So yeah, um, that's where the crawdads sing. Uh, obviously, you know, they also said the title of the movie in the movie, which is always a crowd pleaser in my book. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, dun 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 moment. Um, but you know better than i thought i think you have to rent this i don't think it's a ble- uh, available to stream anywhere right now but daisy edgar jones i'm sure we'll be seeing more of her down the line yeah um all right you ready to do this mike you ready to get in the main event of tonight's uh second oh day boy
1: let's dig into the drama of the internet and talk about rings of
0: power <sighs> yeah so
1: lord Ugh. of the rings
0: rings of power one of the most uh, expensive TV shows of all time, long in the making. Uh, Amazon Prime sparing no expense uh, with this. It's an epic drama set thousands of years before the events of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. It follows an ensemble cast of characters, both familiar and new, as they confront the long-feared re-emergence of evil to Middle Earth. Uh, despite being a huge production, uh, not a lot of uh, recognizable filmmakers or actors in this. I mean, Morford Cart. Um. Clark plays Galadriel, you know, Ismael Cruz, Cordova is a Rondir. Charlie Vickers plays Halbrand. uh Markella Cavanaugh, Megan Richards. I mean, these people are talented. Uh, David Wayman, they're they're talented people. They clearly have careers. But Mike, was there one actor in this that you like? Was there one actor in this where you were like, oh, I've seen that person in something before?
1: Well, I think you're right, champ. They hired professional actors to do this, and I think that was a wise move on their part um, oh, they could they could
0: be people they just brought off a local uh uh you know Broadway production or something uh, as far as I'm concerned, because I've never seen any of these people in anything. Yeah, you have
1: you've I have. seen you've seen Elrond he was I have. uh yeah he's young he's young, ironically enough, young Elrond is actually young uh Boromir. He played young Sean Bean in Game of Thrones.
0: Oh, okay. And when they shocking do, when, that I missed that. Yeah, when <laughs>
1: they do the fl- the flashback, and he's like, "Where's my sister?" And they have the fight at the tower.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: That's Elrond. So okay, he's both. Well, yeah, he's both young Sean
0: Bean and young Hugo Weaving. Uh, okay, uh, my mistake, Mike. Um, what? Give me a thought on the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. I mean this this Joe, holy crap! Uh, you know it's over already. I can't believe that. Like, I, I feel like we were just, we waited and waited and waited for this and it came and it gone, it, it went. And now what, we have to wait like two more years?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh, man. Uh, I, th- I don't, like, okay. I just want to clarify that I have not read the Simmerillion or whatever it's called. I, ha- I I've read The Hobbit when I was a kid. I liked it. I saw Fellowship of the Ring when I was like 14 and I was like, oh, these are cool. I should read these. So then I read two towers and return of the King. Um, and then I saw the, the rest of the Lord of the Rings movies and I've seen the Hobbit movies and that that's it. Like I, I have not read all the backstory about who, you know, Morgoth of Malgoth of the tree of a Luna or whatever. I don't know all the history. And I think that a lot of the people who are online, like making a big stink about this or, just those hardcore fans who you know they're like this that didn't happen for a thousand years like they showed it happened in weeks it took like two generations and they left out balagoth of Hugal. and like so i think that they probably didn't do as good of based on what i've heard it sounds like they didn't do as good of a job adapting whatever the actual story was that tolkien wrote and maybe they should have like stuck a little closer to that but to me who's like a a casual viewer like i didn't have a problem with like okay like we're here we're here these characters oh interesting okay um i will say the production value stood out like watching this show like i like i was genuinely just in awe of how beautiful some of the shots looked like it they definitely they gave their their special effects and cgi people time and they took they took making it look good very seriously. And I, I like for whatever the flaws of this show are, I do think it's one of the most beautifully lo- beautiful looking shows I've ever seen. Um, but I think ultimately the, the thing about this show that kind of didn't work for me was the pacing. I, I just felt it was a bit slow. Um, it was a little bit meandering. There was all these different people groups that weren't really connected and it just took a long time like not much happened in each episode that really moved the plot forward uh I, I know someone said this to me i was like yeah i just think rings of power is a bit like you know it's beautiful but it's slow and meandering and i I forget it was you or somebody else said to me like well dude like have you read tolkien <laughs> like it's, it's kind of how the writing is too but uh yeah i just wish the pacing had been a little bit better because there are some good performances. And I think there's genuinely moving moments. Like I really liked everything with the harefoots who are the Hobbit ancestors, or whatever. I thought it was very sweet, really moving, good acting, good, like character development of like showing the values and making you care about these like characters. Um, But then you just have the whole, Oh, who's the stranger. And that, that question just drags on for the whole show until at the very end, they just kind of, Immediately, rushed from, he barely can string words together, and all of a sudden he's a like a wizard, badass fighter who can like repel these three like Nazgul or whatever they are. And I was like, oh wow, okay. He went from I really don't know words or know what I am to he's super powerful. That seems like a bit of a the the pacing was we don't know what he is, and then all of a sudden the pacing just jumped fast, and then we get this like Gandalf hint, which that's well, like well everyone's always like, oh, Gandalf. I'm like, is he? doesn't say it was Gandalf like we had a bunch I of I think
0: Sauron. he is I think he is based on that last he basically repeats the same line that Gandalf uses in the mines of Moria so yeah. I think he definitely is Gandalf at this point. I agree I think... the mystery box aspect of the season was a little bit drugging out whether it was like oh yeah. is the who's Sauron is it Gandalf like who's this and then after yeah. a while there was only like two candidates for who was going to be Sauron yeah. uh, you know so it kind of got drawn out a little bit that way. I thought S- because you mentioned it, sort of have have like a game of throne style type of storytelling where you have like three or four different storylines going on all in different places. and I think some of them worked better than others. I liked the Harfoots. I liked the relationship between Durin, the Dwarf, and Elrond. Yeah uh, like the them. Elf. those were very heartfelt. Uh, I liked that whole storyline. Casa Doom looked amazing. Like the dwarven yeah, kingdom that yeah. we get to see, uh, looked so so great. The whole show looks amazing. I'll echo that. Oh, I thought yeah. the human stuff, the Numenor stuff, along with Gladriel. That's kind of where I had my biggest critiques of the whole season because I wasn't relating to those characters as much. I didn't understand how like the queen did like a complete 180 from like wanting to throw Galadriel in jail to all of a sudden being like, Yes, we're gonna throw all our resources out of this and go help people we've never met before. Uh, I thought that was too big of a 180. I thought Galadriel sucked for about six episodes, and then finally, like the last two episodes, they started giving her like more characterization, like how she was sort of mentoring Theo and uh, Mm -hmm. the little kid and teaching him about, you know, not to hold hate in his heart and not to put bad deeds up on a pedestal. And I'm like, okay, now she's finally showing like how wise she is because before that she just seemed like a pompous, disrespectful, like whiny, bloodthirsty elf where she's like marching into Numenor and barking orders at everyone. And I'm just like, lady, no wonder they're throwing you in jail. Like I would too. So I thought that the decisions and the characterization of the Numenor stuff was kind of rushed they all just charged over there to the to middle earth after all these years on on seemingly a whim and you know i know that you know the the filmmakers are definitely tied down by the tolkien estate they're only allowed to use certain things like from lord of the rings they technically aren't even allowed to use the similarian uh oh, by rights
1: re- wait really yeah
0: Yeah, they have to use the Lord of the Rings and all the appendixes of Lord of the Rings, which is where a lot of this stuff comes from. Um, Yeah, it's a whole complicated thing with the Tolkien estate. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so they are kind of like sort of they have their hands tied with certain things that they can and cannot use. And they have to get it had to be eight episodes. That's what Amazon signed up for. So they kind of had to jam it all in there to a certain extent. I think that's where we get the weird pacing stuff. But I think what we didn't realize coming into this Mike is basically this entire first season is basically acting as a prologue, you know, so we're not, we're not really getting into the main plot. It's really all set up. If you really look back and think about it.
1: Yeah. Which is, I kind of want to ask more about that. So I didn't know that there was some drama with the estate and like what they were. So, so when, when someone is sitting down, like when Amazon's like, Hey, we want to do a Lord of the Rings thing, they sit down with the family, they say, what can we use? And then the writers are there being like, okay, can I use anything from Lord of the Rings? Can I use anything? Like, what did they, what were they actually
0: not allowed to do? They're not allowed to use the similar, they They have certain things that they can use. If they want to use stuff from that, they can go to them and ask like for specific things to get permission. And yeah. then the estate would grant them that for that specific thing. But it was a very touch and go. Uh, relationship with what they could use because it, it, it states very protective of it. Uh, you know, there's yeah, a reason understand. that yeah, understandably. Get, there's a reason we didn't get a show for all these years because, uh, you know, they're very protective of it and they want to make sure it's done right. I don't think the show did anything like the big battle sequence. I think it was Unden, uh, episode six. I thought that was pretty dope that I thought the big uh, that was really the only huge battle sequence we got in the whole series. Uh, I thought that was pretty amazing. I mean, just the whole... I thought the orcs looked amazing in this. Um, Sort of like earlier orcs. They actually give the orcs some characterization in this, which is not something we really see in the original movies. They're kind of just like bad, terrible beings for no reason. I feel like they have a little bit more, uh, you know, we get a little bit more of why they're bad and what their motivations are. Yeah. That's flushed out a little bit more through like their fallen elf leader, Adar, who is played by the guy who played Benjamin Stark in Lord Game of Thrones. So I guess I had seen him before too, but he, I thought his performance was great as sort of like this lower tier, big bad before we yeah. actually meet Sauron. Um, so I was super interested into that storyline because it, I felt like, you know, it was just interesting to see like, oh, here we go. These are the origins of, of Mordor and, and we get to see Mount Doom explode. And uh, and then the next episode, like half of it is spent all in orange because they're in like this fire land. Yeah. And yeah, the production designs and, and a lot of the story did work for me, honestly. There was yeah. just certain little bits where the motivations didn't feel great or they felt rushed. The characterizations were a little bit off at times. Um, with Gladriel with with Hellbrand, um, and yeah. I think the idea with the stranger was that the spell was like snapped away and then he was himself again. That's why I was finally talking, but that also felt rushed.
1: Yeah. And there was, I agree with you that like, for me, the, the least interesting part of the show was all the stuff with the Numenor and, and Gladriel and them. Um, like, for example, there's a scene where a Sildor. uh, oh, he is sucks like too, by the way, he's like his a character
0: awful too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: He's like a captain. And then they're out on a ship. And he just lets go of a rope accidentally. And then they're like, hey, I think you did that intentionally. You're off the team. And these other two people who are just innocently standing there and had nothing to do with it. It's like, wait, what? Like, can you imagine the Navy? Like, someone makes a mistake and they're like, you're kicked out of the Navy and the two people who were standing there. You're just all out of the Navy right now. Like, that's insane. Like, for a rope, it's like nothing. No one got hurt. Nothing bad happened. It was just like there were little plot moments like that i'm like that
0: seems ridiculous or manufactured drama
1: yeah there was some manufactured stuff with the whole numenor stories um i did i really liked uh was his name ellen ellen the, the archer elf i liked him a lot uh i thought he was cool i wanted to see more about him and the lady and uh, what I'm guessing is their son, the little boy Theo, whose ears we never see the whole time. I'm like, I bet he's got elf ears and they're just hiding them. But uh, yeah, like I definitely liked them. Like you said, the, the battle that they had in the South Ends was cool, although it did feel a little like rushed. Like it was more just him shooting something that then made the whole tower collapse, which again felt like that's not a very good tower. If just one arrow can have a log knock everything down and then. You know the other they just arrive and save them all so quickly i'm like okay well that was that was pretty quick cool cool horse shots but it's like that that whole like wow that was being built up into a big battle and then it was just over super quickly and then the mordor thing happened and i was like oh dang that's pretty didn't see that coming but Mm -hmm. so like it felt the stakes were maybe more meaningful at that point
0: well, with this and, you know, uh, House of the Dragon, which I'm sure we'll talk about next episode, yeah. I think what we're realizing is they're, they're both prologues, like I said. Honestly, yeah, like I, they're the both idea. set up for the main story, which is not something that I really expected, especially because we're going to have to wait like two hours for this. I mean, we get a Balrog glimpse at the end of Rings of Power that I'm sure that's going to come around eventually, but, you know, it really just felt like this whole season was just about bringing us back into the world, not putting the focus on Sauron right away, but while also teasing it at the mystery box aspect, you know, which has worked for certain shows in the past, but we've seen with shows like Lost, where if you put so many mystery box out there, and that's the only thing that people are waiting for, and it doesn't deliver, then your show can be in trouble. So, and I'm not saying it didn't deliver with the Sauron thing, but it was pretty predictable after a while um how where this was going and that turn did feel a little bit rushed too so yeah i don't think the filmmakers had an easy task on their hands with this yeah that's true you're dealing with dense source material that takes place over thousands of years and they own they have the limits of what they can use from the legendarium they have limits on what they can do in terms of time they have for how long the season's going to be um so you know i do give the filmmakers credit for at least um putting us back into the world in a somewhat mm-hmm. digestible way. And in a way that was, you know, somewhat enjoyable as well, because I, I never found myself like hate watching the show. I never felt yeah. like watching it and being like, Oh, what have they done to Tolkien's work? You know, it felt like Tolkien. It very much felt like the Peter Jackson aesthetic. The music was great. The cinematography was great. The performances were good overall, just a little bit with pacing and characterization are, are where sort of, I have my main critiques.
1: Yeah. I'm hundred percent in the same boat. And it's like i will say that it's hard to not compare it to house of the dragon since they're both i mean we're very we're all very spoiled that these are like two big tv shows we get right now even if even if we have our problems with them like this is still amazing quality compared to like what the generation before us had in terms of you know fantasy tv shows but like i i will say I do like Rings of Power a little bit more, even though like I think it has some pacing issues, like you said. Just for the fact that I actually care about these characters, like they're good people. They're trying to help others. They're not all a bunch of like r- incestual, selfish, rich nobles who are all just lying to each other for a throne. Like, they, like you're you caring about these little hobbits. You're caring about this elf who's trying to protect. You. You're caring about. Durin and Gandalf, or, or Durin and Elrond, just trying to be friends. Like you're seeing diplomacy as a beneficial thing, not like a weakness. And I, I kind of miss shows that like do that, where there is some good and evil uh, in it. I, I think like in some ways, House of the Dragon has lost my interest in some. I still think it's like really good in a lot of ways, but overall, just I don't care about any of the characters because. I don't really like them. And, and here I at least liked them. Like I wanted them to get along. I thought there was like some really nice world building. It's beautiful. It definitely made you want to live in middle earth. So like, this is gorgeous. Like well done to them on just the scope of what they accomplished with the world building for this show. Um, so yeah I'm, at give, a,
0: yeah. I'm at a seven and a half out of 10. Uh,
1: I'll give it a solid B.
0: So, you know, if anything, we can say that they didn't, screw lord of the rings up right which is yeah i don't think they did as lord of the rings fans we're glad about that because we obviously love the movies and i'm glad that we at least have a competently made tv show we'll say that yeah Um, they didn't they didn't shortchange or uh you know like they did they didn't ruin anything in my opinion and i think there's room for improvement in subsequent years now that they've sort of entered us back into the world um, now that now we can sort of start to build on the actual plot and the actual what we know leads up to the Last Alliance of Elves and Men, so yeah, um, that'll be fun to see as we move forward. Uh, but anything else on this, or are we ready to get out of here? Uh,
1: yeah, everyone needs to get over the fact that there's black people in the cast. Just move on.
0: We talked about <laughs> that last spot. If you want to hear us rant about uh, all that yeah. stuff and and people that just... just need to get over themselves on the internet, but yeah, uh... for sure. <laughs> That's going to do it for today's episode of the Second Day Film Podcast. Uh, What is it, Mike?
1: uh, I was going to say there is actually a special 100th anniversary uh, of the Douglas Fairbanks Robin Hood film happening. So if you want to check that out, go check on YouTube. A
0: hundred years ago, that movie came Mm -hmm. out. And that's- We're only pushing an hour and 20 minutes now, and you're talking about the Douglas Fairbanks Robin Hood. If uh, if it's he- 100 a 100 years old, man. That's pretty take cool. A- take a drink. Mike's talking about Robin Hood, but uh, once again, if you're still here, uh, God have mercy on your soul. Uh, <laughs> if you can please <laughs> like and review the podcast, it'd be very much appreciated. You know where to find our old episodes. Uh, always nice talking shop with you, Mike, and uh, very much appreciate it. We'll reconvene in a couple weeks and probably talk about house of the dragon at that point and also some of the films that come out but uh once again i appreciate everyone for listening and for mike nichols i'm brandon champion we'll talk to you next time on the second day film podcast and we'll see you at the movie.